Yeah, friends, it is a, a privilege and a joy to be with you. I have um, often coveted an opportunity to come and share at St. Philip's and so grateful to God that it's uh, come around. So why don't we pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, uh, the congregation of your people here and uh, thank you that I can uh, share with them and be encouraged by them. Thank you for their support of CMS and the AGMs that have been held here and I pray that you would teach us through your word today and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so one of the jobs that we do as a CMS office is uh, distribute the newsletters of our WA missionaries. So, um, you know, for example, a great, one of the great joys that we have is uh, finally, after about uh, 18 months, we've deployed David and Jenny Juniper to the Congo, and that's very exciting. And uh, their, their internet, uh, they told us this week, is a little bit shocking, so they've been able to send stuff through to us, and we're, we're putting that together for them to distribute. But... Um, uh, we also facilitate the communications between people back to our missionaries because sometimes uh, there are certain barriers of security. And so it's really appropriate that we're looking at a part of a, the Bible, which is a letter sent to a, a local pastor. It's part of the Bible we possibly don't look at very often in churches, but something that I've really been encouraged by and learned a lot from as I've reflected on this passage. So if you have your Bibles close to you, please open on page uh, 993 to the letter that the Apostle John wrote to uh, a leader or co-leader of a local congregation called Gaius late in the first century, probably about 50 years after Jesus uh, was crucified in what we now know as modern day Turkey. And our first point that we that is worth noting comes from verse 3 and verse 4 from John's words. He says, I was overjoyed when some of the friends arrived and testified to your, Gaius's, faithfulness to the truth, namely how you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than this, than to hear my children are walking in the truth. I wonder if you noticed a word being repeated a few times. In fact, it's a word that's repeated uh, no less than six times in this letter. Gaius, the, the leader or co-pastor of this church, is walking in the truth, and that's the truth about Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the news about his death and resurrection. It's, it's the, the most momentous news ever declared in the history of the world. And walking in the truth means sustaining our trust in him, as we've just sung about, and obeying him as Lord. And Gaius, being somebody who's a true, uh, uh, an, an elder in the local church and who is walking in the truth, obviously has a huge impact in the local church in guiding them to walk according to the truth. Uh, this is really important because the truth is the, the, the very thing that transforms our lives, that brings us from death to life. And the writers of the Bible um, remind us again and again of how half-truths or fake truths about Jesus are, are dangerous. So just as the truth about Jesus transforms our, life, our lives, half-truths about Jesus are, are impotent 
and do us damage. And so it's for that reason that the other thing that you might notice in verse 3 and verse 4 is John's excitement and joy. He says, I was overjoyed, overjoyed, uh, when some of the friends arrived and testified to your faithfulness to the truth. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than this. Um, sounds like he's quite excited. Um, there's no, when the truth of the gospel is being proclaimed, there is nothing more wonderful. Because that's, that's the truth that brings people to life, that, that raises people from the dead. And so Sam and Penny, who are represented by this card, this weird kind of picture, are CMS missionaries in the Middle East. Sam is from the Middle East uh, originally. He'd never heard the gospel. He was a Muslim. He came to WA and through a long process, he heard the gospel. He became a believer. He's got married, got a family. But he was so convicted by the truth that he wanted his own people to hear this gospel truth proclaimed and preached in a church for locals in his own country. So they've gone back to a very dangerous situation as is represented by a card with a picture of hands to proclaim the truth because they believe it's so important and they're so excited to speak about Jesus in that context. Now, in the Middle East, people do read the Quran and the Quran does speak about Jesus. Uh, but in the Quran, there is fake and inadequate information about Jesus. Jesus is just a prophet. He didn't die. He didn't rise again. He's not the son of God. And he doesn't have any power to save or to change lives. He's a different Jesus. He's a fake Jesus. He's an impotent Jesus. Uh, a guy called Richard Schumach, who uh, is an es expert on Islam tells a story about a friend of his called Abdi and he was chatting to Abdi one day because Abdi was wearing a t-shirt that says I love Jesus because I am a Muslim and he was one too and so Richard asked Abdi what do you love about Jesus and Abdi said rather sheepishly I don't know it's just a free t-shirt I got at the mosque. <laughs> now, there are many things to love about Jesus. But the main thing that I love about Jesus is that, he's, is that he died in my place and he rose again and he, he's given me new life. How, how wonderful is, that, is it that we can love Jesus for that? This is the truth that Sam and Penny are proclaiming in the Middle East. And this is the Jesus that they yearn to be proclaimed in a local church for uh, believers of that country. So in their country, there are churches, but they are exclusively for expats, for foreigners. And if you're a local, you're not allowed to go to the, one of those churches. I have been, in the, in the first service, we did hand these magazines out to everybody at the door. I forgot to organize it for the second service, but... Um, uh, 
hopefully if you come to coffee, uh, you'll find me wandering around later and um, putting one in your hand. And that is talking about the, the kind of church planting work that CMS is doing around the world. I hope you'll be encouraged by it. And if you want to uh, get these quarterly CMS magazines, you can easily give us your name and we will send it to you. It's also why Marty and Jenny are in the Middle East. They're not planting a church, but they're working for a Bible college, and you've, I'm sure you've had them prayed for many times in church here. And they are seeking to have local church leaders like Gaius trained to teach the gospel, to teach the truth. Jenny writes in their report that, that they've submitted for our AGM. She says, we commenced the new academic year, ETC Asia's fifth year of operation with over 40 enrolled students. And we thank God for our second cohort of graduating students, rejoicing that he has opened doors for them to serve in various ministries. JS is now an associate minister. And I'm not reading this in full. SC is now a pastor. NW is a children's worker. GM is a women's worker. SS will be heading to Cambodia to serve as a missionary. Uh, YB is returning to Myanmar as a as a principal of a theological college. And the list goes on. Wow, what a list of people equipped to walk and to teach, to walk in the truth and to teach the truth. So my first point that I've learned from this letter is that gospel-shaped churches are crucial in God's saving plans for the world. Gospel-shaped churches are crucial in God's saving plans for the world. So may you never lose the wonder of what it means to belong to a church which is gospel-shaped that walks according to the truth. May you continue to walk according to the truth brings me to the second thing that I've learned from this passage, which comes from verse 5 and verse 8. Sorry, verse 5 to verse 8, and I'll read those uh, verses again. Beloved, writes John to guys, you do faithfully whatever you do for the friends or brothers, even though they are strangers to you, they have testified to your love before the church you will do well to send them on in a manner worthy of God. For they began their journey for the sake of Christ, accepting no support from non-believers. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we may become co-workers with the truth. So certain brothers or friends have been visiting Gaius and his congregation from somewhere else. They're not just tourists, but they have gone out, began their journey for the sake of Christ. In other Bibles it says they've gone out for the sake of the name. Um, In verse 7, it's the name of Jesus. And going out for the sake of Christ means going out to proclaim Christ, to proclaim this truth that uh, Gaius is walking in. So they've gone to congregations such as Gaius's congregations. They've taught. They've encouraged. They've gone to other centers, no doubt, where there is no church, and they are seeking to establish a church. They are itinerant Christian ministers. 
they are, we might call them missionaries. Look at verse 6. John says to guys, uh, you will do well to send them on in a manner worthy of God. So Gaius has participated in sending them. That's why I concluded they are missionaries, because they've been people that have been sent firstly by the apostles, and now they are sent on by congregations such as Gaius' congregations. And a missionary, the word missionary just comes from the word to send. My second point that I've learned from this passage is that gospel-shaped churches send missionaries. This is what CMS seeks to do to encourage and keep encouraging churches such as St. Philip's to keep sending missionaries. Um, And what we understand by mission is not necessarily things like painting orphanages or sending money to local believers or protecting nature or digging wells. Those, those, Those might be wonderful things to do. Mission is about sending people in the name of Christ to to speak and to preach the truth. So Gaius says we ought, in verse 8, we ought to support such people that we may become co-workers with the truth. Gospel-shaped churches send missionaries. See, the truth, if it's worth believing and holding on to, is worth proclaiming in other places and it's worth support and, and, and it's and it's worth supporting people who do that because there is nothing more valuable that we can be doing. And when we help missionaries who do that, we become their fellow workers. How exciting is that? I can't work at a theological college. I'm not a doctor like Marty Ford. But hey I can send him little emails and I can send him little text messages to encourage him and say, hey, I'm praying for you. And I can participate in in providing for their needs because it costs to keep them there. And that's a blessing to me because God has never left me wanting. And I pray that you all would experience the same blessing and joy as you become co-workers with our missionaries. Gospel-shaped churches send missionaries. The third thing I've learned here, or I've noticed, comes from verse 9 and verse 10. We meet a person here called Diotrephes. The Bible here has a heading, Diotrephes and Demetrius. It's a little bit unfair to group them together because Demetrius is a good guy and he's probably the postman carrying this letter. And he's endorsed by the Apostle John, but Diotrephes is a bad guy. He's a, he's a baddie. Uh, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority, the apostolic authority. So if I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading these false charges against us. And not content with those charges, he refuses to welcome the friends even prevents those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Wow. He's rejecting apostolic authority and he's rejecting anybody who's who's coming to promote and proclaim apostolic authority. The same apostolic authority that we have today mediated to us in the 
Bible, the Scriptures. It's sad and tragic that even within churches such as this one, not this one, but this church here mentioned, that there is somebody who opposes apostolic authority. As there is today in churches in Australia, for example, sometimes in Anglican churches. And of course, there are those who oppose apostolic authority outside of church as well. And going back to Sam and Penny, there are people who are who believe in God, who claim to believe in God, but seek to discredit the Bible. Um, and it's because there are some key points which uh, oppose and contradict uh, stuff that's in their book. So planting a church in Sam and Penny's context is super, super hard. Every person that comes to, that becomes a believer feels absolutely isolated and alone and they are scared to gather with other believers. And so Sam moves about trying to encourage them as individuals and trying to persuade them to, to come together. But it's an uphill road all the time. And as he proclaims the gospel to others, he often hits opposition. For example, just a couple of weeks ago, somebody lunged at him with a knife because they were so offended by what he was saying. And uh, you might think he's some kind of hero, but that affects him deeply. He had to, he, 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 he was in a kind of what he calls a Sanhedrin situation for hours presenting the gospel to these guys, trying to persuade them and trying to account for his own conversion. So the third thing I've learned is that missionaries are engaged in a spiritual war. Missionaries are engaged in a spiritual war. And they really, really need our prayers. Whether it's Marty and Jenny or Sam and Penny or uh, David and Jenny Juniper newly arrived in the Congo who have to get down to the grind of trying to learn the language at their age. About the same age as me. And uh, getting to know people, getting used to having so much less than we do here in WA, that's all a spiritual battle that all requires prayer. And so I am asking you from the front, won't you engage with one of our missionaries? I have a clipboard. You can write your name down and your email. Yes, I'm asking for your email. In the age of spamming and fraud and protection of privacy, our email addresses are precious. Uh, in the age of overloaded inboxes, we are unsubscribing, not subscribing. But I urge you to make the commitment to receive the news from one of our missionaries and pray for them, even if it's just once a month, whenever they, re whenever they send out a newsletter of something that's going on. But I've been encouraged by what John wrote to Gaius. I've been reminded that gospel churches are Gospel-shaped churches are crucial to God's saving plans for the world. So I hope that you will keep appreciating your own church and keep yearning for the establishment of such churches in other parts of the world. I've been reminded that gospel-shaped churches send missionaries. The gospel is too precious not to share 
because it literally does pe- bring people from death to life. And I've also been reminded that missionaries are engaged in a spiritual war. Gospel work is a spiritual battle and they need our prayers desperately. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your people here at St. Philip's Cottesloe who love you and who have been nurtured and encouraged in this gospel-shaped church. Thank you that the truth is proclaimed here and we do pray that you'd raise up the right person to be the rector who will be a gospel-shaped person. We thank you that we can have the privilege of being fellow workers for the truth as we send missionaries, as uh, as as we contribute to what they are doing. And I pray that... uh, Uh, St. Philip's would continue to do that in various ways and also, I pray, with CMS missionaries. And we pray that we would also commit to praying for those who are engaged in the spiritual war of doing mission. So we ask this in Jesus' name.